Amen. I'm going to begin this morning with three ridiculous trade opportunities, okay? I want you to picture that you have in your hand a $100 Monopoly bill, all right? How many of you ever played Monopoly before, okay? And uh, it's the game that never ends, right? And so you're playing Monopoly, and you have a $100 Monopoly bill in your hand. And someone walks up to you with a real $100 bill in their hand. And they say, excuse me, would you be willing to trade your Monopoly $100 bill for my genuine $100 United States bill? Now, here's what I want you to do for this and two other examples, all right? Put out of your mind the question of why would anybody do that? Because that's the first thing that comes to mind, right? Why would anybody do that? Put that aside, all right? Force yourself to put that aside. Don't even consider why would anybody do that. And instead answer the question, why in the world would I not make this trade? You're holding a $100 Monopoly bill and someone is holding a genuine, and we're not going to have the discussion of whether it's counterfeit, It's we're just assuming for the sake of the story. Because remember, this hasn't happened. This is not happening, okay? So we're just assuming uh, that this is a, 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 an actual, one, a genuine $100 bill. The question is, are you going to make this trade? And your answer is, I'd be crazy to not make this trade because there's no comparison between a $100 Monopoly bill and a genuine $100 bill, okay? So let's go to the next trade. When I was a boy, one of my favorite toys to play with was uh, Matchbox cars or Hot Wheels cars. I'm not even sure they make Matchbox cars anymore. They may... But uh, they're the, basically the same thing, just two different brands. Miniature cars I, I, is one of my absolute favorite toys. Matchbox cars, Hot Wheels cars. Uh, it, was, it was such a favorite that, uh, you know, when, when my son was little, uh, I would try to get, come on, don't you want to play with, uh, with your Matchbox cars? Don't you want to play with your Hot Wheels? Come on, don't you? In fact, he'll come home from college, and I'll say, Joe, come on, don't you want to play? No. Um, <laughs> But I've always loved those little matchbox cars, so much so that I actually even have one in my pocket right here. And uh, there it is. That's a, uh, looks like a Ford pickup and uh, uh, one of those, uh, you know, uh, it's got the passenger uh, cabin there and uh, big old tires. And yeah, there it is. So someone comes up to me and they say, I, I want to make a, I want to make a trade. And, uh, they, they say, I've got a, uh, a brand-new four-door sedan, and I want to know if you'd like to trade this car for your Hot Wheels pickup. And I'm not going to say, well, what color is the interior, you know? <laughs> and, and frankly, many of you know, I, I just made a trade, almost that ridiculous. But anyway, um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that trade. Why? And again, we're putting aside 
Why would you make an offer like that? That's crazy. Um, no, I'd be crazy to not trade my Hot Wheel pickup for whatever car they're offering because there's no comparison. Let's go with a third. And uh, I know you get the point already, but this is in a little bit different category. So let's just stretch our minds a little bit, okay? You're working at a fast food drive through window. And uh, hey, you got a job. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But you're working at a fast food drive through window. You're making a minimum wage. And it's helping with the bills, but, uh, you know, you're, you're always thinking with every burger you, you uh, sell, boy, I, could, I wish I could be doing better. So someone comes through your window one day, and they said, hey, you know, I've, I've been uh, watching the way you work. I come through your, your uh, place often, and so I want to make you an offer. I want to offer you uh, to come and work as my receptionist in my office. And it's going to be the, the same hours, exact same hours, and uh, same distance from your house. It's going to require the same basic demands of you. Except instead of making minimum wage, you're going to make $75 an hour. Now, maybe there's something I'm missing because I've never worked in a, you know, I guess you won't get the free food as the receptionist. But um, maybe there's something I'm missing. But to me, I say that I'd be crazy to not make that trade because there's no comparison between the two. All right. So, with those three examples as our guide, let me show you some trades that the Bible tells us about that are even more ridiculous than a fake $100 bill for a real $100 bill or for a Hot Wheels car for a real car or for a minimum wage position versus a $75 an hour position. Trades about which you would have to say if you really understood and believe what God is saying there's just no comparison between the two. Let's look at several in the Bible. The first one is in our text that we read, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18. Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, by the way, that I reckon there, that is not a sign that uh, Paul is from Tennessee. What he's actually saying there is I calculate. I calculate, in other words, I have come to the conclusion based upon the facts that the sufferings of this present time, the things that I suffer in service for the Lord, are not to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, the, the glory that I'm going to enjoy in eternity because of the suffering that I am willing to endure in this life, there's no comparison. The glory is in a completely different category that I can't even comprehend. The glory has such a great magnitude. It's not even like comparing a, a human sacrifice with a human reward or a human effort with a human reward. No, he said... We're comparing human suffering, temporary, with eternal 
glorious reward that we have never seen and we can't even comprehend. And he said, there's no comparison to be made. And Paul essentially says, I'd be crazy to not make that trade. Now, we're talking, first of all, by the way, in this first verse here, we're talking about serving the Lord. Not talking about being a Christian, getting saved, and and how to go to heaven. No, right now, we're talking about somebody who has already been saved, and we're serving the Lord. And in that context, let me, let me just remind you that the Bible is very clear that serving the Lord can be very hard at times. It can, it can put a great strain on you physically. It can put a great strain on you emotionally. It can put a great strain on you mentally, not even to mention that God may call upon you to, to suffer in a way that you don't understand, but that other people benefit from watching you suffering with, with great faith and great patience. So the first trade here is physical suffering in exchange for eternal glory. God may call upon you, Christian, and again, I'm talking to people who already know that your sins are forgiven and that you have everlasting life because you have made the choice to make Jesus Christ your Savior. You know you've made that choice. To you, I say, God can and will at times in your life call upon you, whether in routine ways or in specific ways, call upon you to suffer physically in exchange for eternal glory. And Paul says, I want to remind you that there's no comparison between the two. There's no comparison between what you give up by suffering and what you gain in exchange for suffering. Yes, serving the Lord can be hard sometimes. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if any man will come after me, which means follow me, be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, that's self-denial. That's give it, that is going, running contrary to your appetites. That's living, it's not living the lifestyle of, I want to do this, so I'll do it. I feel like doing this, so I'll do it. Uh, I would like this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after it. Jesus said you got to give that up, that lifestyle. And secondly, you've got to take up your cross. And in another gospel, it says take up your cross daily, which means every day you, you surrender to the burden of serving the Lord, the suffering that comes with serving the Lord. Why would anybody want that kind of a lifestyle? Because the suffering, physical suffering for now, does not even begin to compare with the glory that we will receive in exchange. Paul told Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is God even calling, serving him, being a soldier? Because it's hard and it's difficult. Just like basic training. If, if uh, Nick could give us, uh, tell us stories about what basic training is like. I'm not sure any of us would, would be uh, wanting to volunteer to be recruited. 
Every story I've heard, I never have been in the military, every story I've heard has been it's just a, it's just a living nightmare for, for weeks. And Paul, why would Paul say to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Because serving the Lord is a life of challenge and pain and difficulty and suffering. And if you don't think so, then I have to say you've never, you've never really served the Lord. Why would you want to do that? Because the suffering of serving the Lord, whatever God may call upon you to do, does not begin to compare with the glory that you will receive in an exchange. Second comparison. We looked at one trade, a trade that is comparable to trading my Hot Wheels Ford pickup for a, an actual Ford pickup. Now, I'm a Chevy guy, but if you want to give me a Chevy pickup, I'm not going to refuse it, okay? Why? Because you, you, you want to trade your Chevy pickup for my hot... Here, here, where's the, where's the keys? Absolutely, yeah, I'm not going to refuse that. What, because they, there's no comparison to be made between the two. And there's no comparison between the things that God asks of us and what he gives us in return. Let me give you a second example. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. By the way, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't mean God doesn't love him. It means he doesn't really love God. But now let's talk about that love not the world for a second. That's not talking about the planet. It's not talking about the people on the planet. It's talking about the ways of the people on the planet. It's talking about their temporal ambitions. It's talking, in fact, I'll tell you what it's talking about. No, the Bible tells us what it's talking about. In the verse that follows, it says, For all that is in the world, number one, the lust of the flesh, That is the desire or the craving to do. Then it says the lust of the eyes. That is the desire or the craving to have. And the pride of life. That is the desire or the craving to be. So there you have a breakdown of all that is in the world according to God. What the world and the people in it crave to have crave to do, and crave to be. And that gives you a little bit better understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about the world. And going back to verse 15, it says, love not the world. Don't be driven by what the world craves to do, craves to have, and craves to be. And then it says, you cannot be driven by those loves and at the same time Be in love with God. You say it doesn't say that. You didn't read it. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I don't think that that's an all or nothing statement. I think what he's telling us is, to the extent that you love the world, you don't love God. I don't think it's 100%, 0% necessarily, but I believe as with many of the statements in 1 John, he's teaching an extreme principle to help you to understand if 90% of your life is going after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the the pride of life, then 90% of your life is not in love with God. So we're talking about a trade here. 
the love of this world in exchange for fellowship with God. Now, this one may not be so obvious. This one may not be as obvious to you as the matchbox car versus the real pickup truck. But if you knew the joy of being in fellowship with God, it would be obvious to you. In order to be in fellowship, in harmony, and close to God on a daily basis where God is real to you, you pray and you know he's hearing you. And your prayer isn't even just all a bunch of asking for stuff. It's just you communicating with God. God, I sure do love you. God, it sure is a joy to be called your child. Father, I adore you. I praise you. I worship you. See, to say those things and have them be more than just rote words, it takes a real relationship. And that real relationship is only possible as you are willing to trade in your worldly ambitions. Let me say kindly that a lot of what calls itself Christianity today is a Christianity that tries to tell you that you can have both. You can go after your worldly ambition. Now, wait a second. Time out. There are people that God calls upon that makes, gives them a gift of making money, for example. And God calls them to make money for his purposes and at the same time he allows them to live by a little bit higher standard because they okay for example there was a man who financed Billy Graham his name was R.G. I think it was R.G. but his last name was Letourneau and this man dealt in heavy equipment and as this man began to make money he said Lord I will give my my wealth to you. You ask me to give you 10% of what I make and live on 90%. I'm going to give you 90% and I'm going to live on 10%. That's what I'm talking about. God gifts some people in that direction. But I'm not talking about that. I, what, what we're talking about as far as letting go of your worldly ambitions, I'm talking about where God has given you a talent and instead of using it for his glory, you use it to get rich. You use it to get famous. You use it to have fun. And so that you make your money and then the weekends find you just, just traveling all over the world instead of working on a bus or working in Sunday school or working somewhere in the church where your talents can be used to impact other people for Jesus Christ. And people make those trades all the time of saying, God's given me a talent and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hoard it for myself. So... 1 John 2.15 is telling about a trade of the love of this world in exchange for fellowship with God. When I was a, and You can't have both. You cannot have both. When I was a boy, my favorite song, I mean, before I could talk, they say, I don't have recollection of this, but before I could talk, I could sing for you in, in its entirety the song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. And uh, that was sung by a man named B.J. Thomas. B.J. Thomas got very much into the, 
the uh, celebrity lifestyle, and this is in the late 60s, early sun, uh, 70s, and he was uh, into the drugs and into the uh, drinking and the fast living, and all of a sudden, one day, B.J. Thomas got saved. And he went to, and I, I remember hearing about all this. In fact, he, start, he started uh, making Christian albums, and I still have some of those. Um, but um, he went to his pastor. He went to a Baptist church. He went to his Baptist pastor. He said, you know, he said, I have made my fortune off of singing in some places that don't honor the Lord. He said, I sing in bars. I sing in nightclubs. He said, I, I sing in concerts with other people that are singing. He said, and I myself sing all kinds of songs about just loose living and, and you know, not songs that promote marriage and so forth. And he said, uh, what should I do? And his pastor made the horrible mistake of saying, you, he said, you have an opportunity. He said, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to keep going to those places and singing those songs. And then at the end, sing a, sing a gospel song and give your testimony for Christ. And even though that violated the conviction, the Holy Spirit conviction that B.J. Thomas was feeling, he went along with it because after all, it's what his pastor said. And it wasn't very long that B.J. Thomas was right back in the life. Why? Because he continued, yes, but by, uh, by, by, uh, on the advice of his pastor, but it was still his decision. He continued to pursue the ambitions of this world And trying to do it at the same time as he pursued his relationship with God. And you can't do both. Oh, a story just popped into my head that I'm not going to have the details for. But i got to tell it to you. i got to tell it to you. Um, I don't remember the man's name. I don't, I, except somebody told me this story. And I investigated it. And it's 100% true. And so you can check it out if I give you enough details to investigate it. There was a young man that came up with the Baltimore Orioles the same time as Cal Ripken Jr. In fact, there was a rookie card that had this man's picture and Cal Ripken Jr.'s picture on it. And this man was expected to be, I'm pretty sure he was also a shortstop, and he was expected to be the star. Cal Ripken was not expected to be the star. This guy was expected to be the star. But he got saved. And he was living the Christian life in the, in the dugout and around the clubhouse. And his manager didn't appreciate it. And so because he did not like all the Jesus talk, his manager played Cal Ripken instead of playing this guy. So this guy didn't become a star. This guy didn't make the money. And the truth was, as he grew in his faith, he didn't want to. So he retired from baseball or quit, whatever the word is. He quit baseball and he went into the ministry. He went as a missionary to Africa and won tens of thousands of people to Christ and planted churches. I mean, I don't remember the number. I just remember it was an astonishing number of churches. And now he, many, you know, 
Decades later, he's back in the United States. He's an older man now. And he serves the Lord somewhere in America, training missionaries. And his career, obviously, someone who is wrapped up in the cares of this life would say, oh man, Cal Ripken got the better part of that deal. But if you're looking at it from God's perspective, whatever that guy's name is, and I'll tell you what, I'll try to remember to look it up and tell you tonight, got the better part of that deal. There's no, there's no comparison. There's no comparison between being a, a legendary Major League Baseball player or being a missionary that wins people's eternal souls to Jesus Christ. No comparison. Third place in the Bible, no comparison. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15. I will very gladly spend to be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The third trade that is no comparison, limited sacrifice for one person's soul. Listen to this quote, and I very rarely ask you to write something down specifically, but it would be worth your while to write this down. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is not a Bible verse, that is a quote from a man who lived about 70 years ago, but that is worth your meditation. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those words come from a young man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott grew up in church, he grew up a Christian. And as a teenager, a very good looking young man, very smart young man, very athletic young man, And he was being sold on the idea of using his his gifts and talents to have a a, a teen ministry, to be like a youth evangelist here in America. By the way, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But from where he stood, he was hearing a very, he felt like he was hearing a very carnal kind of a sales pitch like you could be big time you could you could uh, this you could make a good living by preaching to teenagers and it just he just was not hearing it in a way that that was compatible with who he was he had a burden for souls now let me stop and say you if you're going to you It is a legitimate thing to be a youth evangelist. And if you're going to be a youth evangelist, you do so because you have a burden for souls. But something about the way he was hearing it and understanding it just didn't didn't fit his faith. He began to pray about what God would have him to do. He heard about a tribe of people called the Alcas in The word Ethiopia is in my head. What is it? What? Ecuador. Ecuador. By the way, we used to have a neighbor when we lived in North Salem. We had a next door neighbor who was born and raised in Ecuador, and she knew this story. But he heard about the Aka Indian tribe. This is in the 1950s in Ecuador. Who had, they they were cannibals. And they had no experience with the gospel whatsoever. They kept to themselves. And they were, they were documented. I mean, there had been articles in magazines like Life and Time. I don't know that it was those, but magazines like that had done articles on this cannibal tribe. And he got a burden for that tribe. 
His whole life story is, is written, and, and you, I would urge you to get your hands on it. It's a wonderful book. I don't know the name off the top of my head, but anyway, I have read it, and it's in my office. He got together with four other guys, a team of five guys, and they went in to take the gospel to that tribe. And all five of those young men were martyred for Christ by the very people that they went to serve. But now, 60, 70 years later, there are churches, hospitals, schools, all through that very same place where they laid down their life there. And what drove that man to make that incredible sacrifice? This kind of thinking. 1 Corinthians 12, 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And that's what led him to say he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's the thing about limited sacrifice in exchange for one person's soul. The things that we say we're giving up, we don't get to keep anyway. Say, man, I couldn't, I couldn't give my life to, to serve the Lord. Well, you're not keeping your life anyway. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Every evangelistic effort requires sacrifice. You don't have to admit this, but you can admit it to yourself that every time the Sunday dinner rolls around, I think it's five Sundays from today, and you think about your role and all the work, and, and uh, come on, you can admit it to yourself. I'll admit it to you, okay, that the thought comes to my mind I don't know how many more times I can do this. And I'm still a young feller, right? I'm still a young feller, right? I am, right? (laughs) It's hard work. It's one of the most demanding days of the year. And uh, it always results in people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a no-brainer. I'll sacrifice. Man, I've, I've, I'm on the team that sets up the tables every Sunday morning of the Sunday dinner. And we carry in the groceries. We bag the groceries the night before. It's the same routine every, every single time. And I've done it on crutches before. I've done it half blind waiting for surgery before. I've done it. Uh, I just, I've, I've not failed to show up yet in spite of all the things. And this, many of you could say the same, very same thing. You've been through unbelievable struggles, but you were still in your place to set up. And what happened? People got saved. The exchange is just, there's no comparison. Luke 16, 13. We're getting close to the end of the message, honest. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means money. And it's not just talking about the cash. It's talking about the money-driven life. You cannot serve God in a money-driven life. Now, we already talked about serving, loving God or loving the world. This is more specifically of what you give your life to, being driven to make money. You cannot serve God and mammon. We said, first of all, physical suffering in exchange for eternal glory. No comparison. The love of the world in exchange for fellowship with God. No, no comparison. Limited sacrifice in exchange for one person's soul. No comparison. Now we're going to talk about this for a moment. Temporary wealth in exchange for eternal reward. 
I read a a multi-filthy rich person recently said this. Um, This is very recent. You've heard these stories for years, but this was very recent. He said, whatever you think, whatever people think wealth will do for them, however they think it will make them feel, it won't. He said, I'm talking about somebody, as somebody who has made more money than most people can ever imagine. Whatever happiness you think money will bring to you, please believe me. It will not. There was a man named William Borden. You're all familiar with the very famous uh, Borden family. And this is a very famous story, but it bears repeating. The Bordens uh, revolutionized uh, how dairy products are sold. In fact, when we started Calvary Baptist Church in 1994 over in Brewster, with a church that eventually merged with Heritage Bible Church to form Northeast Baptist Church, when we started Calvary Baptist Church in 1994, our first meeting place was the Borden Condensed Milk, milk uh, Factory in Brewster on 22. It's behind Norm's Tavern there on Route 22 in Brewster. And that was a that was the, the building. It was built by John Borden, who was a, a part of the Borden family. But William Borden in the early 1900s was one of the heirs of the great Borden fortune. I mean, he was he was the guy that was going to inherit all the money and the corporation, the wealth, the fame. But God called William Borden to the mission field. His family thought he was crazy. His friends thought it was crazy. He was going to give up being a powerful heir to go preach to people in a third world country. As he progressed through his call, that's a very, very well-known story, but if you haven't heard it, you need to, you need to be familiar with this story. <clears throat> he decided that a missionary going to the mission field has to trust God. And he said, how can I trust God if I'm a multi-multi-millionaire? So he let go of all of his assets and said, I'm going to start broke like everybody else does. That's insane, isn't it? I'm looking for, I'm looking for Chad. Where did Chad go? Uh, that, that's insane. Oh, there's Wendy. Okay. That's insane, isn't it? I, I, you know, I'll be a missionary. I'll start wealthy if I can, right? But he said, I'm going to start, I'm going to start uh, poor just like everybody else. And when he did that, and everybody said, you're crazy, he opened up his Bible, and he wrote down two words, no reserves. He got on a boat. The first thing he had to do was go to language school. When he left for language school, he opened up his Bible again, and he wrote, no retreats. He contracted malaria while he was in language school. He never even made it to the field where he was going. Before he died, he opened up his Bible, and once again, he wrote two words, no regrets. It wasn't until later that someone, after he had died, that someone found William Borden's Bible and found those words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. What was William Borden saying? He was saying to trade temporary wealth in exchange for eternal rewards, No comparison. No comparison. We're going to end right here. Mark 8, 36 and 37. 
Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world or loses, and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The most ridiculous exchange rate. The most insane differences. The whole world in exchange for your eternal soul. Whatever might prevent a person from trusting Christ, it's not worth it. Whatever you could, yeah, but I can't, I can't get saved because whatever you end that sentence with, it's not worth it. Far more insane than trading a $100 Monopoly bill for a genuine $100 bill. Far more insane than not being willing to trade a, a toy truck for a real truck. Far more insane than not being willing to trade a minimum wage job for a $75 an hour job. Far more insane than that is for a person to say, I won't get saved because... Because what? Because my friends will laugh at me. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I won't trust Jesus because I've got too much pride. That's ridiculous. I won't trust Jesus because, you know, I'm this ethnicity and everybody of this ethnicity has this faith. That's ridiculous. I won't trust Jesus because I want to have fun. I want to make money. I want to... Whatever you put in there, that's ridiculous. Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What's so valuable to you that you're willing to go to hell and pay for your own sins forever and ever and ever instead of trusting Jesus Christ? Here's how it works. We are members of a fallen race. Every one of us has sinned against God. The lies, the hatred... The dishonesty, the disobeying of our parents, we're all good at all those things. They are the evidence that we are a fallen race. Because if we were not a fallen, rebellious race, we wouldn't know how to... Imagine living your life and not knowing how to lie. Man, I don't even know how to cheat. If you were not a sinner, you wouldn't know how to lie. You wouldn't know how to cheat. You would love God. It would be all about God. There wouldn't be, we wouldn't have, there'd be no bars. There'd just be churches everywhere because we'd all be just worshiping the Lord. We'd be loving him. You'd never hear anyone use the name of Jesus Christ as a curse word because no one would dare do that if we weren't a fallen race. But we are. And so when you look around and say, well, if there's a God, how come there's so much evil in the world? You just don't even know how stupid a statement that is. Here's a better question. How can there be, how can we not be a fallen race when there's so much evil in the world? That's the question. God says each of us is individually responsible for our sin. Yes, you have a nature that makes you lie, but when you lie, you're responsible for it. God says that with our sin comes a sentence, and the sentence is eternal damnation. We could take days to debate about what that means. Does it, does it mean fire? Does it mean suffering? Does it, does it mean darkness? Is, is that hell? And according to the Bible, that's yes, 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 and yes. And instead of debating whether or not you think that's true or whether or not, how can a loving God do that? God doesn't do that. We do it to ourselves. We choose. So how, how can I choose to go to hell? Because... 
There's a remedy. The remedy is that Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and died on a cross. And he took your sentence for you. That is what that cross is about. It's an emblem, a symbol of the fact that God became a man and he died in your place to take your sentence for you. Nobody has to go to hell. Nobody. And if you go to hell, especially now that you have heard, it's because you refused the remedy. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, and now God offers to every human being the opportunity to freely be forgiven and receive everlasting life. You say, how? Based on what you just learned that's in the scriptures. Uh, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hundreds, literally hundreds of verses in the Bible that confirm Jesus took your sentence for you and God waits for you to make the trade. You trade your sin for his righteousness. How? Just by saying yes. Now that you know the details. Saying yes just in general doesn't do it. But once you know the details and you say yes, God says that's it. Hey, God expects you to take him at his word. He'll take you at your word. If you say yes, you know the facts and you say yes. He says, bang, it's done. And he has the added advantage. He can see your heart, so he knows if you mean it. So the invitation is yours here before we go. Jesus Christ died for you. He, took your, your, he already took your sentence. It is totally unnecessary for you to go to hell when you die. Jesus died in your place and he invites you to be forgiven and receive Jesus. And if you're here and you're saying, man, how do I do that? Let's do it right now. Let's talk to God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You talk to God for yourself. And if you want to